The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. I am your host. We are broadcasting today from the Hatch Coaching Studios, where our entitled intern, Provolone, is manning the production elements of the program. And that is program, not program today, because we're kind of, you know, we're a little laid back today. It's a, it's a Thursday, which is our Friday, because our daily show here, our Crude Life Podcast, which is a daily show, is Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. I love this whole podcast world when it comes to you can just say whatever and do whatever. And it just, you know, it, it, the world revolves around you because really it does. At the end of the day, people download you. It's not like at the radio where I have to be a part of a system. Uh, really, I mean, it's just, you know, people got to come to you. So you got to make sure it's infotainment provolone that's why you're here so you can help me understand this stuff today's guest that we have patiently waiting on our Bakken barbecue phone lines is mr. Tom Shepstone from natural gas now and the Shepstone management company but natural gas now they've been around for a while great organization up there he does a blog which has turned into a news kind of you know like a blog news site and he really is a champion for rural economics, and he does it through the dissemination of information when it comes to natural gas. I've been following Mr. Shepstone for a long time, and he's you know he's a blogger, but he's he's been he's he's a writer, he's a writer, and he's a published writer. So he's you know he knows what he's doing. And he's from Pennsylvania, so we get a two for one today. We get a Pennsylvania update. What's going on out there? And, you know, the, the one thing I'm going to ask him about is childhood cancer because Provolone, remember that headline from Monday, was it, that came in over the weekend from Washington, Pennsylvania, uh, just south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I used to do a magazine there back in my former life when I was a publisher before the Internet came around and, and got rid of 90% of the magazines and made a bunch of newspapers go bankrupt, but that's a whole other topic for another day. But I used to do partner with uh, newspapers, and we would produce magazines for newspapers. I had 52 newspapers as clients, and so one of them actually was Washington, Pennsylvania, so I was very familiar with that. And I don't know if you knew that or not, Provolone, but uh, in that article, they were calling out the Pennsylvania Department of Health, and they were citing childhood cancer. And so, again, another example that the environmentalists and activists have shifted this to a public health debate or at least it's a two three-headed approach to come at the oil and gas industry in terms of uh, the public discourse so uh, I'm gonna ask him about that as well coming out of Pennsylvania what's going on out there and he's gonna talk about Trump's world economic form and what kind of impact that is going to have on the energy industry. That's uh, Tom Shepstone from Natural Gas Now and Shepstone Management Company. Not only is he a consultant, he has a news site, so it's two for one. It's one of our ongoing 
relationships we have with other media outlets so that we can extend each other's reach and and really uh, leverage each other's audience so to speak i mean it's like sister cities if you will but sister media sites brother media sites cousin media sites i don't know what the pc word is anymore on that so i'm gonna i'm gonna move on and transition to what we have coming up next here today okay let's see the music that you're hearing is the moody river band now if you go to the crudelife.com you can click on their album cover vintage boom and the moody river band uh they actually they're a free download they don't charge for their music they make money on their live events and they would rather have since they're a regional band really uh, they would rather have people familiar with their music. So their their strategy is to have free music out there. Uh, they just happen to be our our monthly music partner. And one of the things we do here at The Crude Life is we partner with people that are outside of the oil and gas industry. We go into high schools, we go into colleges, and we interview kids on oil and gas and industry and how it impacts their community. We also engage and interact with musicians because with podcasts and, and radio shows, which is the bulk of our programming here, where, where if you're going to do an interview, you might as well use it in a podcast. You might as well use it on a radio program. You might as well use it in an interview for a magazine and a newspaper. So we try to get as much you know out of that rag as we can. Just squeeze it. Provolone, we got to squeeze that rag and get as much content as we can before you know tomorrow comes and everybody's on to the next topic so uh we do partner with uh, d different people on that all right where was i going with all of this because i totally lost my train of thought here when i started squeezing the rag okay and that just came out of my mouth too so that's when we know it's time to move on moody river band folks click on it support them and they will support us again it's it's important it, you, listen we're not going to change overnight the the perception that's going on but we're doing our part here at the crude life and one of those ways that we're doing it engaging with people outside the industry with high school kids college kids musicians we're trying to make the energy industry a little bit more engaging with the youth and with uh the entertainment sector who have primarily been protesters against the energy industry so uh, we are transitioning to our sponsor yes thank you i appreciate that very much headlines coming up in just a second here i want to get to our sponsor because not only do we need to pay our bills we need to explain to people how the lights get turned on so one of the ways we do that is we have a, a daily sponsor here at the crude life podcast and today's sponsor is MineralTracker.com. Mineral Tracker is the only mineral management software that allows mineral owners to compare actual royalty payments to expected payments based on well performance and the proprietary and Bakken specific reservoir model built by Mineral Tracker's petroleum engineers. Mineral Tracker was formed in Watford City, North Dakota, and its subsidiary of McKenzie Mineral Management, LLP, a family-owned and operated business also based in Watford City. For more information, visit MineralTracker.com. Of course, you can click on The Crude Life, go to the show page, and you will notice that we've got all of the links for our sponsors, headlines, and other interviews, exclusive interviews, and much more. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. 
Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Back to the foodlife.com. We're going to get into our headlines portion of the program. And provolone, by the way, we should probably introduce provolone here today because provolone is our entitled intern. His mother and father, Mama OGC and Papa OGC, OGC as an oil and gas company because they own a modest oil and gas company felt their son was not understanding the value of hard work, was not understanding the respect that goes into the oil and gas industry, how it was built. He doesn't understand. Oh, it was a, it was, there was a list. There was a, there was a very long list. And so we took him on as an intern and provolone. We began with a haze, a kind of a, a light haze, if you will, in the industry where the producer of the show, which is really the, the heartbeat and the nucleus at the end of the day, uh, does not get to speak on the first program because that way, well, they can focus on their actual duties and not treat, be a part of the show because they're not part of the show. The host is the part of the show. The producer's job is to make the host look good. And then the producer gets, you know, like a pudding cup or something like that, whatever's left over in the fridge at the end of the day. And see, you're not going to learn that at the university. No, you're not going to learn that type of life lesson and skill at the university, Provolone, because that's what Papa OGC was talking about, I think. At least there's got to be a, a nugget in there somewhere when he just said, my son is majoring in entitlement. He was just, he was blown away. So uh, Provolone, your duty, one of your duties is to gather headlines for our podcast because you are in charge of the podcast we did give you that responsibility and hopefully tomorrow you'll be able to speak because today uh you lost your duties again yesterday which i promised i would not share on the air today but i didn't promise that i wouldn't share it on monday provolone because you need to understand when it comes to the world of media you always got to be specific because we'll twist and, and and interpret things our own way and in the moment, you just kind of agreed with the light suspension, if you will. And today, you're not able to speak. And Monday, I'll share the story, why you weren't able to, what you did at the meeting yesterday. And uh, we'll go from there. How's that? Because I want to get things moving along here. We have headlines coming up. And it's Thursday, which is our Friday, because we have a daily show, which is really a Monday through Thursday, which is a half hour. Really could be a 44-minute show or a 33-minute show or a 45-minute show. So really, we have things really figured out, Provolone. I mean, it just flows off the tongue, doesn't it? I mean, could you imagine that on a T-shirt? That would look fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, let's see what we got today with our headlines. This one comes from the Las Cruz Sun News. The GOP governor's address was love fest with no love for oil and gas. Well, that is a very specific headline, isn't it? Santa Fe Dateline. 
Republicans in the state House and Senate had a common criticism of the New Mexico governor address to the legislature on Tuesday. She didn't give credit where credit is due. In her second state of the state address, the governor made the case for increasing education funding and other legislative priorities, including the creation of an early childhood education trust fund and her proposed opportunity scholarship, which would cover all remaining... Co- okay, are, are we going to get to the oil and gas part here? Because I'm, I only want to read the first couple paragraphs here. Okay, Grisham touted 15,000 new jobs and a better economy after a lost decade of growth, stagnation, and forced austerity under former Governor Susana Martinez, a Republican. But Republicans hammered the governor for not thanking the industry that provided the jobs and economic growth that is fueling the governor's political vision, the oil and gas industry. Well, that paragraph is really good. It's too bad they didn't bring that up a little bit sooner, but hey, I'm just nitpicking here. No, it just it, Provolone, it, it's a good headline. It just keeps going to the narrative of uh, thanks for nothing, you know, that um, the light switch produces energy, the circuit breaker, is the safety behind energy and everything will just take care of itself. I, I believe that is really what's going on in people's heads, much like how in the agriculture world, hey, you know what? There's no farmers. There's no slaughterhouses. There's no rendering plants. There's no pork farms, pig farms, whatever. It's just it's, we, we go to the grocery store and we pick it up. So it's, a, it's, a, it's really a shame that the elected officials have allowed, you know, the Pied Piper of the public, if you will, to be going down such a unusual path, such a very bizarre place to get political when it comes to, you know, just hard line issues, really hard line issues. So, uh, but again, it's, it's another example that the table's being set for the public health debate against oil and gas. Now, the Colorado blueprint is really prevalent here. And the Colorado blueprint, which is turning into this public health debate, because if you look at a lot of the science coming out of Colorado right now, especially at the University of Boulder, air quality, Pennsylvania, I saw they were citing a study from, I believe it was from Colorado, about childhood cancers. So it's serious, folks. Our motto here at The Crude Life, ready for anything. And we are. We're getting ready. I mean, we're hey, we're doing a podcast. We got provolone. We're ready for anything. But it is too bad that, you know, they're not even giving credit where credit is due anymore. And that's that 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 is a bad deal. And and good for good for the Republicans in in Louise or I'm sorry, New Mexico by calling her out on that, especially, you know, touting the new jobs and she's taking credit for it or whatever the case might be. And, and th- the fact of the matter is, nationwide, the only industry that has added jobs in the last 10 years is the oil and gas industry, is actually the mining industry. But when you look at what's happened with coal and you look at what's happened with some of the other, I suppose, silver and palladium and, and so, copper are in there as well. But they're getting heavily restricted like coal is. When you look at what's happening with the oil and gas industry, they've been adding most of the jobs than for the mining industry. So when you got 
an industry that is the only industry that has added jobs, not the tech boom, not the startup boom, not the young entrepreneur boom, not the ag boom. No, none of these booms did not sustain for a decade. Stephen Moore, economist, Fox News correspondent said on this program, The Crude Life, last year, the only industry that has added jobs in the last 10 years is the mining industry, which has been powered by the oil and gas industry. So it is a very peculiar, peculiar strategy when you have elected officials not giving credit where credit is due. So um, it's another it's another example that the narrative and the war on oil and gas is continuing. But it's also a gut check to the industry to say, who are we giving our resources to and our time and our access to? And what are they supporting? Who are they supporting? Because this is getting pretty serious. I mean, we're having uh, presidential candidates having this discussion. So, uh, Provolone, you know how to get me going on this because you heard me talking to the guys at the Energy Expo, didn't you, last week? about how last year I was speaking on this topic that pre two President Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were talking about banning, not straws, no, just the whole industry. Like, we can't figure straws out, so let's just get rid of the whole industry. And that's some crazy talk, to be honest. I mean, 96% of the things we use in today's everyday world has petroleum products or involved with it, and just the sheer common sense right there, you know. And that's what we do here. We, you know, we esoteric energy provolone. We, 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 we common sense it, you know. We, we've, we've helped and healed thousands here at The Crude Life, you know. I mean, we take that natural approach, the esoteric approach. It's organic, baby. All right, let's go to the next headline here. Oil and gas. This comes from Oilfield Technology. Oil and gas, why a new ecosystem for innovation is needed. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Uh, what's happening in the innovation world is quite simple. Uh, when regulators and politicians get involved, things get centralized. That is their nature. And the innovation world thrives on decentralization, disruption, and just smart, clever capitalists having the freedom to roam. And there's not a lot of research and development money floating around oil and gas companies right now. They're getting pressure. I just saw the other day from the uh, IEA or the EIA or, you know, one of the alphabet agencies. They're getting pressure now that they got to start investing in innovation because they're not doing enough of it. Well, you know, it's not $100 oil anymore. And research and development has never been one of the top priorities of energy companies, publicly traded companies. And it's, it's been top priority, but it, you know, it's one of the things that, that, goes, that doesn't get funded all the time. And then that's why governments fund it, okay? That's why they pick up the slack because it is needed, but at the same time, it doesn't produce any revenue. It's generally, uh, you know, you lose money on it. So, Without getting into the economics of research and development and getting into that whole debate, because we could do a whole week series on that, we're just going to get back to the, the, the main point, which is when you get regulators 
and governments involved and universities, you centralize things. That's in their nature. They're in the business of centralizing. And when you need innovation, again, you need disruption and decentralization. So we can talk about how we need a new ecosystem all we want. But when the resources and the dollars continue to get centralized to the same folk and the same you know, individuals, um, the smart, clever capitalists that are out sleeping on well sites using their own money, they get left out in the cold. And so their, their research and their science generally gets left out, you know, for whatever. They try to go sell it over in another country or they try to figure something out because they just don't have the access or the, you know, whatever. I've heard, you know, ghosting and there's a lot of different stories out there. I mean, it doesn't, it's not hard to find them, but it, it's at the core of it, though, is innovation is needed. So the headline is right why a new ecosystem for innovation is needed. But until we can figure out a way to get the politicians and the regulators and the uh, associations and universities to think outside of that centralization box, it's just, I think it's gonna continue along the way. Uh, we didn't even read this, did we? Uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, I skimmed it real quick and it's really boring. It's like really boring. So we'll, we'll start if we can. Good headline, you know, very informative. But all right, Jacob Ruder, Inno Energy Benulex assesses. See, normally if I can't pronounce three of the first four words in a story, I do not go for any further. So uh, I, this is a new one for me, Provolone. Assesses what the oil and gas industry needs to tackle the energy transition. At Inno Energies, the business booster, leaders from Repsol, Equinar, GA Drilling, Total Energy Ventures, and PWC gathered to talk openly about the capability of the oil and gas industry to tackle the energy transition. Reflecting on the discussion, the comments from all speakers would frequently come back to two intrinsically related themes, collaboration and capability. So, uh, if you stayed awake during that, then uh, basically you're just kind of saying a lot of the same things I am without saying the centralization, pointing out, you know, that politicians and regulators and uh, associations and universities are generally in the centralization business by nature. And if that's where the dollars are, well, that's where they're going to go. I mean, if, if that's where the government grants are going and they're going to the same individuals that they need to stay in touch with to stay around uh, and get funded for their campaigns and their organizations. And that's the way it's going to continue. So uh, a new ecosystem is needed, but I don't see one changing in the near future. I think it's probably going to be the same old, same old. So that's from Oilfield Technology. Of course, all these headlines are available at thecrudelife.com on our show page. We have links right there. All right, let's take a look at the third headline here quick. And what is this? Justin Timberlake and Jessica Biel are reportedly going to therapy as he tries to win her back. This comes from Cosmopolitan. Oh, provolone. So I get, I'm going to read this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, we're going to have a little talk about, about, you know, the third headline. I get the idea of trying to be outside the oil and gas industry. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you in just a second here. I'm, I'm going to get through this headline, and then I'm going to say this one time, and I don't want to get through this again. So, All right. So Justin Timberlake and is it Jessica Beal? i got to scroll up again here. Justin Timberlake and Jessica Beale are reportedly going back to therapy as he tries to win her back. In December, Justin Timberlake claimed he had a little too much to drink and held hands with co-star Alicia Wainwright while they were out in New Orleans. The incident generated more news and sharp critiques of Justin than that tree album. And it looks like he's still skating on thin ice with Jessica Beale, who's apparently still has her suspicions. All right, so apparently Justin had too much to drink, and he held hands with uh, Alicia Wainwright out in New Orleans. And, you know, the Big Easy, Nola, I get it. You know, that's, yeah, you can, maybe, maybe she was slipping. There's a lot of uh, throw up and beads and drinks. On the streets of New Orleans, a lot of Creole cuisine down in New Orleans. They had that rainstorm, Katrina. It's about all I really know about New Orleans. They're under, they're under sea level. I know that, but uh, so hey, who knows? You know, the stars were in the lines, but interesting. You know, the holding hands. But the thing I'm going to get to here, Provolone, is first of all. You know, I don't really get into this rubbish, if you will, this rubbish of Justin Timberpond and Jessica Feel and Alicia Wayne left. I don't, you know, I'm not into this. Now, I understand the need to be current and, you know, throw one in here every now and then. Good for you. You skated one right by the goalie. Good for you. Shot one by the goalie. Sorry. Now, where I'm going, where I'm a little upset is, did you get this on my computer? So my computer now thinks I want stories from Cosmopolitan. So I'm going to get ads and I'm going to get stories and recommendations about Justin Timberpond and Dirty Pop. Is that, is it my, is that my future? Dirty Pop on my computer? Monday, you're suspended too from talking. Monday, use your own computer if you're going to get this rubbish for our headlines. Headlines is supposed to be serious, but not serious. Come on here, man. Besides, we got Tom Shepstone coming up next here. All right, that's going to do it for headlines. If you'd like to check out our headlines, you can go to thecrudelife.com, and we have our show page with all the links available and the headlines that you can read. But we only read the headline in the first two paragraphs because, honestly, that's how everyone else reads the news. So we just make up our mind and move on on those headlines. Coming up next, Tom Shepstone with Shepstone Management and Natural Gas Now. But first, I want to take this opportunity to thank one of our sponsors for keeping our lights on. Mineral Tracker is the only mineral management software that allows mineral owners to compare actual royalty payments to expected payments based on well performance and a proprietary and Bakken-specific reservoir model built by Mineral Tracker's petroleum engineers. 
Merino Tracker was formed in Watford City, North Dakota, and is a subsidiary of McKenzie Mineral Management, LLP, a family-owned and operated business also based in Watford City. For more information, visit MineralTracker.com. That's MineralTracker.com. Of course, links are available at TheCrudeLife.com. Click on today's show page. Welcome back to thecrudelife.com podcast. Thank you, folks, for joining us. We're going to go now to our Bakken Barbecue phone lines where Mr. Tom Shepstone is patiently waiting on the line here as we sit in the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our Bakken Barbecue phone lines, Mr. Tom Shepstone. Can I get a mic level check from you real quick? Just go ahead and state your name and organization, Mr. Tom Shepstone. Tom Shepstone. I'm with the Shepstone Management Corporation, and also I publish a blog called naturalgasnow.org. Outstanding. Thank you for joining the program here today. And uh, I do want to ask you about Trump's speech at the World Economic Forum. I want to get your take on that. But first of all, um, you know, we do this on the podcast, we do a headline segment, and it wouldn't surprise me if we got a headline from Natural Gas Now from time to time in there. So tell us a little bit about Natural Gas Now, what it is you do, and how you're relevant in the world of uh, oil and gas. Yeah, thank you for asking that. Well, what we do is we advocate for natural gas development, particularly in rural areas where it typically occurs. And uh, I have, uh, I'm a planner by trade. I, I do a lot of work with uh, communities and also people in the development business and uh, have an agricultural background as well. And uh, I know how important it is for rural economies to have something going on uh, that uh, generates some ability to pay the taxes on land. And that's one of the things that natural gas does very well. It allows you to generate a return on your investment in land. And therefore, it helps you to stay in farming and to stay you know, living on the land that perhaps you grew up on. Uh, it's it's very good for the rural soul, so to speak, and the rural economy. And it preserves a lot of open space in the process. So that's how I became an advocate for it. Natural Gas Now is a blog where I collect the opinions of a lot of people, including some of your work. Um, and I've also... Uh, put a lot of my own effort into it in analyzing things, uh, uh, bringing up stories, letting people know what's going on. And my primary purpose in doing that is uh, to motivate people to do something, uh, to try to get them to be knowledgeable enough that when they get into a debate with some uh, somebody who thinks fossil fuel use is a threat, that they can, uh, they can respond accordingly and they can say... Uh, Fracking is not a, you know, is not a problem environmentally. It's actually saving open space, for example. Uh, and we have a, you know, a great track record. I want them to be able to know enough to argue back in a civil fashion, and that's what we try to do. We try to motivate and educate people at the same time, for purposes of advocating for natural gas development. And I get some support from the industry. I get some support from landowners, um, and, and, but primarily. We're focused on that that whole motivation element. You know, 
uh, slogan is, you know, about uh, for the, uh, you know, for rural economies, for the land and for the environment. So that's, that's what we're all about. And sometimes there's some politics, other times there's regulation, and sometimes it's just a straight out, did you know, or informative. I was looking at your website the other day, and I know you have guest bloggers, and they did a they did a pretty nice little quick article on uh, difference between wet, dry, and, and wet gas, uh, dry gas yeah. and wet gas, which there is a significant difference. Oh, yeah. And when we, and I'm very proud of our guest bloggers. We have a lot of them. And some of them are just, you know, ordinary uh, landowner types who want to say what they think, and they're pr- pretty good at saying it. And so we, you know, we do that. We also have some, um, like some retired people who, uh, who've had some real special expertise with regard to, uh, you know, things like the, uh, uh, you know, carbon trading and things like that. And we, and we, um, are privileged to be able to view some of their material. We, we have a relationship with the Institute for Energy Research, which allows us to use their material. And and we have similar arrangements with other people, uh, including in the industry and out of it, um, to be able to put it all together and combine it with my opinions and my own personal knowledge from uh, being 60-some you know, years old and having uh, learned a couple of things along the way. <laughs> so... Now, where, where are you based out of geographically? Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Now, Honesdale uh, is in the very northeastern corner of Pennsylvania. So we are, uh, the county that I'm in, Wayne County, is uh, b- bounded on the north and on the east by the Empire State, or as I like to refer to it as the Emperor State, because the uh, we have a, a guy who fancies himself as an emperor as the uh, governor over there. Um but we're we're right in the northeast, and we're we're the only county in Pennsylvania that actually has viable, marketable natural gas that can't develop it because we happen to be in the Delaware River Basin, uh, which is regulated by a group called the Delaware River Basin Commission or DRBC. And even though they're mostly the same people who are on the Susquehanna River Basin Commission on the other side of the mountain, where they have done all kinds of natural gas development. When they put their DRBC hats on, they say no. We, we you know, we, we we think it's a big threat, and um, that's one of the dichotomies that we're trying to constantly expose and to uh, challenge. What's going on with uh, Pennsylvania's energy? I know that you follow outside of Pennsylvania, but um, I, I believe it. Didn't I see an article that? Uh, there was going to be some considerable fee increases or some restrictions or some people were going to try the public health debate to make life more difficult for oil and gas companies. Yeah. Is that happening? Yeah. Did I see that? It is happening, but I, I, I think some people read a little too much into that. Uh, yes, the, they're proposing a gigantic fee you know, increase, but the fees aren't that huge to begin with. I mean, they're a few thousand dollars or something. And in the big picture... Uh, you know they're not they're not a significant element. It's more of a it's more of a, um, a harassment issue than anything else. Uh, I don't think I don't think it's going to disincentivize anybody from drilling a gas well. Um, no, you're right. I'm looking at this news story right now, and it says we'll rise, say, from five thousand to twelve thousand five hundred. Yeah, that ain't, yeah, that's a that's a drop in the bucket too. That's 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 a pretty good lunch for some companies. Yeah, you know, I, I know 
some of my yeah exactly some of my <laughs> colleagues some of my colleagues are you know are are uh, are talking about that and uh, making a big deal about it and i understand why because they know it's a harassment and they want to challenge it but i i, I kind of think i have more important things to do than worry about those fees and pennsylvania we're, we have a democrat governor right now who i, I think is done a terrible job leading the state but he's not terribly effective okay so he he uh, uh we have a republican legislature who is pro-energy uh and behind the scenes he's more pro-energy than he would you know he would let people uh, believe uh, which i think is true several democrats that there's some of them are you know they don't they want to they want to keep their allies in the uh, fractivist side of things and the uh you know the the, um, the green sort of um, street cred, but they they understand deep down, and and they don't want to lose their economies, and they you know they want to think, they want to keep things rolling along too. Sure. So, so I think that's what's happening in Pennsylvania. Now, New York is a different case. You know, New York is uh, is so far gone over the edge. Uh, I'm not sure even Johnny Green can save them. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who, I'm not sure either if the greatest environmentalist on earth, the Earth champion, yeah. could could even save New York where they're they're yeah. at, man. I tell you, yeah, uh, I, have, I have the highest respect for that guy, but I don't, you know, I don't think he could save New York. He's so. by, by the way, I'm hearing rumblings that Johnny Green will be putting the title on the line in June. Ah, the belt wow. the belt is going to be on the line for the greatest environmentalist on the planet, and. Uh, more That's details wonderful. to come on that for sure, but I'll be I'll be watching for that. Trust me. So. I I did I did see it was an op ed that came out of Pennsylvania out of uh, one of the papers. It might have been Harrisburg over the weekend that was just going along the whole public health. Uh, uh, politicians yeah. and oil and gas. So I, I, that's what it was. It was the war drums that I saw beaten uh, there. And yeah. so, um, anyway, yeah, I, I think 2020 is going to be one heck of a year politically. I really do. Oh, oh my goodness. I, and I think it's going to be fascinating. To see for oil and Trump gas, that is, for oil and gas. Yeah. I think I think it's going to be interesting to see whether Trump takes Pennsylvania again because he's, he's, he's making a play for it again, of course. As he should, and he's doing it on the basis of uh, of what he's done in energy, and I and I think I think that's going to resonate well in Western Pennsylvania, and certainly in the rural parts of the county, so or, or the Commonwealth. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see. I think it's going to be a good year in that respect. So we'll see. How about his speech, Trump's speech at the World Economic Forum? I know that you had a uh, some writings up on that and have yeah. some opinions on that. Um, uh, talk to the listeners out there how Trump's speech out at the World Economic Forums impacts the energy industry. I think it has a tremendous impact because what he's doing, and I and I reprinted the whole speech on my site and added a few comments, but the I, I think it's tremendous because when he's when he's going over to this World Economic Forum, which has really been uh, a, you know a gather over the last numerous years, it's been a gathering of. Uh, kind of a feet snobs from Europe, you know, and and uh, they, you know, they sit around and talk to each other and you know, fly it on their big jets and all this stuff and opine on all kinds of politically correct things. And Trump has gone in there and he's just delivered a very straightforward message saying, you know, we're, we're the leader of the world, not you guys in so many words, and we're getting it done and we're, we're getting it done in a very straightforward way by cutting regulations by promoting our natural gas and oil and 
uh, allowing it to to, uh, to do its do its thing. We are uh, redoing our trade deals to to make it more fair. And from the energy perspective, he's also you know trying to do things about like these pipeline delays and some of that. And I love the way he said it. You know, he, he said we are not going to be, and so many. I'm paraphrasing. Now, we're not going to be prophets of doom anymore. You know, not in America. You know, we're we're looking forward. We're making things happen. Uh, we've had been through these repeated scares about having too, you know, population bomb. You know, and all this kind of nonsense. Uh, we've had global cooling in the past and all that nonsense. And he's saying, you know, don't pay any attention to that. You know, we've got our eye on the ball. We're moving forward. America is great. We're the leader, and you can do it too. That's what he's saying. And I loved it. And I thought it was uh, uh, brilliantly done. And, uh, you know, he, he's an interesting character. I, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't for him in 2016 and during the primaries. But, uh, boy, he sure proved himself with me. And uh, I think he's proved himself with a lot of people. And, uh, well, I, I think people forget that really you only have two choices. And, and yeah. I mean, you, you might have three, but really you only have two choices. And yeah. what I used to tell people is, look, maybe some people are just afraid of their insurance premiums going up. And, and maybe they're afraid of losing their job in the energy sector. So that's why they support Trump. Maybe it's not all the other reasons that the media says he's the most hated man on the planet for which by the way he continues to win elections and polls and gets support so he can't be that hated that's right that's right that that, that that's the part that blows me away and that's where he that's where he's right about the narrative you know like it's well you work in the media you know that there can be a very good effort for a, a narrative to be created if you have control over a certain amount of resources and it's a very unusual person who can crack through all this stuff, you know, and, and you have to be somebody who, who talks differently. You've got to be somebody with a uh, self-confidence uh, to the point of, uh, you know, of it being a, a point perhaps in certain circumstances, but, but you have to have that. You have to have that ability to talk differently, to talk plainly, to be self-confident, to proclaim loudly, and to be unapologetic, and, you know, there's, uh, and I, I think that the unapologetic part is perhaps the most important. Um, oh, I, I would agree. That's probably been his biggest strength, actually, to yeah. up to date is his ability to be unapologetic, which a lot of people would say is his biggest weakness and makes him, you know, an awful person and yada yada. But in order to do the things he's been able to do, I think you're right. He's almost had to be unapologetic. There's no question. And, you know, and we have to separate what the duties of a, of a president are and a leader are from what the duty, our duties are as individuals, you know. And, and uh, as individuals, of course, we have the, the moral obligation to be apologetic from time to time. But but not when you're a leader, okay? Not when you're the, the guy responsible for turning things around. When you're the guy that has to get things done. Uh, and... and and let's be honest, you know, when, when, when he's run into a brick wall from, from time to time, he's adjusted, he's backed up, he's adjusted, he's gone a different direction when he's needed to. But, um, but, he, but he doesn't do that by saying, oh, we, you know, we're, I'm sorry, we should have never done that. Or I just got to do better. You know, he never does that. We're, I love we're, it. 
when you mentioned that, I was thinking about yeah. Even when he eats humble pie, he's dropping f bombs. Talking about, I wish I would have never supported the f and vaping. And I just saw that headline, and I just, I thought, you know, here's even when he was trying to put his heart in the right place, he still ends up in top headlines for sensational yeah, yeah, news, yeah. you know. And it's just, it you can't make it up. I mean, it's a. Uh, Oh yeah, it's like it's like the great prophet George Carlin said: "America's a yes. freak show. Sit down and enjoy the front row seat, folks." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but hey, you you mentioned pipeline delays, and I was talking with someone about how you know it seemed like after the Dapple po- pipeline protest in in North Dakota, uh, Standing Rock is really when the template got perfected to where other pipeline protests seem to really just. Yeah. No problem. So I don't know if you agree with that or if the timing on that was about the same, but talk to me a little bit about the pipeline protest because I do think you're gonna we're gonna see some this year, and I think it's a critical year because uh, we we need to get pipelines to Corpus Christi and Lake Charles, and uh, Mexico wants some LNG. You know, you know what I mean. There's a reason to get these pipelines done sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And I and I do think the other side is um, has has really um, you know figured out how to you know how to make a scene about some of these things and create pressure with a very few people. Um, and one of the problems we face, though, I think, is, is is less so them than it is the pipeline industry itself, and even more importantly, the people it feeds. And, and I'll give you an example. I'm not going to mention the specific company or the specific pipeline, but. I'm aware of a pipeline that uh, was in, you know, was enormously controversial, and the uh, project was such that uh, one of the one of the companies that was going to receive this gas took a a, um, a hard line and said, "Hey, we, we we must have this gas," and really went out all out on it and started. Uh, uh, turning off, not turning off gas, but saying we can't do new connections until we have assurance we're going to have the gas we need. And uh, and they were winning that battle, winning it big time. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and I think on the cusp of getting uh, getting an approval of their pipeline. And then all of a sudden, the uh, the uh, that company uh, loses heart and says, oh, the heck with it, we're not going to, we're not, you know, it's, it's not that important to us. And the reason they, and, and then of course they lost the battle. So the, why did they give up so quickly at the very end when they were on the cusp? Of it? Well, the reason is that so many of these companies uh, can turn around and charge the consumer for their mistakes. I mean, this is, this is one of the problems we have is that a, a utility company that is providing you electric service or gas service or whatever it may be. Um, they And they're under some kind of edict from the state that is totally uneconomical, totally bizarre, makes no sense whatsoever. Like, you know, subsidizing uh, crazy wind projects that only work 25% of the time and we're, we're, you know, putting massive subsidies into them. And they, they can just say, well, you know, we know it's stupid. <laughs> But but we're going to sign on to it anyway because you taxpayers are going to pay the bill or you consumers are going to pay the bill, one of the two or both, more than likely. And therefore, what do we got to lose? You know, because we're a regulated uh, company and uh, we're, we can, at the end of the day, if we have additional costs, if you 
if things go wrong, uh, it's all going to fall back on you guys anyway. So what the heck? We'll just go along. Why, why, why fight for uh, rationality? Why, why fight for common sense? Let's just go along, follow, you know, go with the flow, and we'll pass the bill on to the consumer and the taxpayer. And that's the, that's the real battle we're facing. The environmentalists are just taking advantage of that. So um, they're, they're making the fuss that the utility company can then use as an excuse to cave. That's how I see it. I think they're, they've got a lot of different arrows in their quiver of, of tactics. And you mentioned a couple, uh, I mentioned a couple, and I think a, a lot of it too and, and is just hemorrhaging companies out, ba- ma- ma- making them bleed to, uh, financially so that they either got to sell or close the project or, or move on to something else. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant battle. Now, it's, it's, it's uh, more of a battle in some places than others. I don't think, for example, building pipelines in, in, in Ohio is that difficult. Um, and I don't think building them in Pennsylvania is all that difficult. I mean, yes, there's been some challenges and so on. But uh, It is rather I, interesting, though, that after the Dakota Access Pipeline um, Standing Rock, yeah. it, it sure seemed like, boy, you could just download a, a checklist yeah. off the Internet for any, any protester, huh? Yeah, it was, yeah I, I agree with that. But, but you had the, the problem you have is the, uh, uh, the you know, the uh, Native American uh, uh, excuse. And, uh, and it's not that I'm not sympathetic to tribes and Native Americans. I've done some work for some of the tribes. But, but, the, the, uh, but it's a unique, it's a unique uh, problem that you have out there and that we had with Apple that created a, an additional vulnerability that doesn't exist everywhere. Um, what we have and, and what we have in like New York and Maryland and New Jersey and places like that is we're just dealing again with very rich elites who um, you know don't care whether the rest of the people get get gas or not uh, or get oil you know whatever the case may be the, the one thing about dapple that I thought was so interesting and you brought what you just brought up and I'd like to elaborate on is it really exposed a lot of the emotional elements that, People, oh, yeah. people didn't have before. I mean, when you really look at it, yeah. there were rubber bullets fired and water in sub-zero temperatures. Hollywood yeah. showed up. Disa- disabled veterans showed up. Yeah. I, I had, I had texts and phone calls from seven countries and three continents um, about about what was going on because it was in my backyard. Well, I was on the BBC. I mean, I was the reporter that they that they interviewed about it. So I was. Uh, somewhat, you know, finding things out. But that's what I took away from it was uh, somebody said to me that that was actually the biggest uh, PR black eye on oil and gas since the BP oil spill because of the way that they, you know, the state handled it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the interesting thing about the, uh, that, uh, one of the interesting sidelights is Nathan Phillips, of course, was out there making, the, making, uh, <laughs> making noise out there in your neck of the woods. And lo and behold, he becomes famous later, uh, creating that that phony attack on uh, or phony incident with uh, Nick Sandman, you know, and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. the, the, so that's kind of that that kind of is very revealing, I think, as to some of the dynamics at play here. We've got yeah. irresponsible media. You've got a lot of emotional stuff. You've got people with, with agendas all over the place. But that but the interesting thing about the Dapple was it didn't only motivate. Um, people from the other side. It also motivated people from our side. I mean, when, when I ran stories on Dapple, even though I'm 
you know, more Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York focus, you know, New Jersey. Um, people, boy, they responded to that. I mean, uh, I'll tell you, I learned a lot about, I, I knew an adequate amount about pipelines, but when that happened, I, of course, went on overdrive and learned a lot. I was surprised at how much I learned in favor of the energy industry. Like every time I go in and actually do some investigation, it always turns out that the energy industry seems to be a lot more on the right side than on the wrong side. And I'm yeah. and I'm and, and I'm not a lobbyist. I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm, no, this is actually if you go in and look at the facts and science, etc. And um that was the the it was just so different the way that um, all that was handled out there. And it, like I said, it really brought out the emotional elements. And that's that story I asked you about earlier. I wanted to circle back to that editorial about uh, out in Pennsylvania. And I found it. It's actually from uh, Washington County, an old newspaper I used to uh, do. I, I had newspaper clients back in my former publishing days. And Washington County was one of them, just south of uh, Pittsburgh, correct? Okay, so we're just south just south of Pittsburgh, and it's an editorial asking for the Department of Health to rethink uh, public health through, by regulating oil and gas more, and they're using, like, childhood cancer. And yeah, I when I saw that, I went, oh, this is a whole... And so my question to you is, I, and I think this is actually... we, we got to start having this discussion now because it's going to be too late, which is I firmly believe that the activists are having a public health debate and the energy industry is still trying to have an energy debate. What's your thought on that? I think that's right, and and it and it's been coming for quite some time. I mean, that's the issue that that ultimately New York used to you know to ban fracking, and they permanently ban it at this point. From what we're hearing, they may they may make a move to do that. And there's no evidence. I mean, that whole thing with the in Pittsburgh is uh, uh, you know it's just nonsense. I mean, when you read up on it, study the details of it, it's absolute nonsense. The state itself has uh, you know, gone over it and uh, indicated they see no evidence of any, any pattern or anything else. And yet, they were forced to turn around and spend, they're spending $3 million of our tax money to study it again, you know, to do a special study, which, of course, is going to conclude the exact same thing. The, because it's going to use the same data. You know, so, Did your state uh, experience a smoking ban, um, ban um, through public restaurants and that sort of thing? Did you guys have a statewide referendum on that? Yes, yes. So, so we did too. And about five years ago when I was out in Colorado, I started noticing um, the way that people were acting out there. And it was very similar to what I thought was the smoking ban. And, in, in, you know, up in my neck of the woods, up in the upper Midwest here, pretty much every state has done it. And they did the same thing where when you look at secondhand smoke, the science has really actually never been concluded no, as, right. as 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 accurate by by the actual you know CDC and and who and everything else. It's actually never been concluded, but it was it was it got the Mandela effect so much it got it got so much momentum they were able to just sweep through and do it. Now, is it better or worse? That's not even the discussion here. The discussion is is it was loose science that was never verified and then they took and they ran with it. That's the same template I'm seeing here today. There's no question about it. There's a book I'm looking at it on my shelf right now as we're speaking. It's called Scare Pollution by Steve Malloy. 
and uh, and he and he focuses on this whole uh, secondhand smoke thing. I would encourage anybody that's interested in it to to uh, to read it uh, because it, it 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 does show you what's about and it's he appropriately titles the book "Scare Pollution," and of course he's you know, just using that as one example, but. And I don't want to get into, uh, you know, defending it one way or another. But you're right. The science has never, ever been proven. And yet we made policy on it. We made legislation affecting everybody on it. And uh, when we see that repeatedly. But at a certain point, um, I think, you know, there, everything is a pendulum. You know, the, the pendulum does swing the other way from time to time. And I do think once people... You know, you can you can envision a situation, you know, five years from now when people realize that we've made a lot of mistakes, we've gone too far in one direction. You can visualize them coming back, and that's kind of what Trump is doing in many in many areas now. You know, but uh, I, I I do you know I'm old enough to have seen that kind of thing various times that the pendulum swings and uh, there's an overreaction and then there's a reaction to the overreaction. You know, so. Um, yeah, it is just a little concerning when you've got presidential candidates talking about banning the industry. You know, I, oh my, my question is, well, what happened to straws? We we, we decided yeah. to give up on straws, and so we're just going to do the whole industry. It's, it's crazy. It, it, it is. I mean, it's 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 quite remarkable, really. And I just don't understand how the media continues to give. Um, you know, like honestly, when when I look at Elizabeth Warren, and I'm not trying to be political here, I'm just trying to say. If you took any person that knew anything about the way a light economy and just the way of, of duties and responsibilities in a civilization works, and you said to them, we're going to ban your number one energy per source that actually produces the num most amount of jobs, and then we're also going to wipe out student debt. So yeah. we're going to get rid of that and we're going to get i mean i the only way to make that well, happen medicare is for all. don't forget that medicare for all and, and medicare for all i mean I, I i look at it and i'm going those are some like major major overhauls that you just say okay america this is the way that we now do things because nothing is the same anymore yeah uh, anyway it's just well, it's crazy that i just don't get how the media continues to give her attention i i, I don't either but i i do think i do think the general public uh, understands at least some do and then i think enough do that we're safe for a while on that but uh you, you do have to worry about the future when people think that disastrously and and the worst part of it is you know she's not stupid she's she's a she's a smart lady in her own sense she is she is doing something she knows she has to know is wrong you know she is demagoguing and she and this is what I see in New York uh, um, across the river. But the you, you you see people who know have to know that this is completely wrong, that this is bizarre, that this makes no sense, and yet they're doing it anyway for the short term, you know, political gain. And I think that's that's the the nub of the problem in many respects is that we've we've got people who don't even. Don't even make a pretense toward rationality. I mean, they're willing to sacrifice everything to demagogues. Again, we can go back to the great prophet George Carlin, who was very, <laughs> very famous for coming out and saying "F Tiger Woods and Lance Armstrong," and that was when everybody loved those two. They were untouchable, and he yeah. was right on them too. And it's—I I almost look at it the same way, where it seems to like a lot of times we like to prop people up that. Uh, 
They just like to say platitudes, platitudes. Just whoever can say the coolest platitude in the moment, we're going to prop up. It doesn't matter what's behind it. You know, they can, like like you mentioned, they can they can fly these big expensive jets together to talk about how to save the climate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it's maddening. You know, but that's what I, to get back to Trump a little bit, that's what I kind of like about, you know, he cuts through all that, you know. And um, not many people can do that. You know, I, you know, I was, uh, again, during the 2016 thing, uh, Ted Cruz was my guy. Like, I still like him. I think he's a great guy. But, but I, I don't know, you know, as smart as he is, and he's an extremely bright guy, as smart as he is and as capable as he is in debates and all that kind of thing, could he have cut through some of this the way that Donald Trump is? I don't think so. I don't think he No, I, I, I don't think anybody can. You see, Trump's not a politician. And yeah. um, I've, you know, and I don't know if I've ever told you my theory on uh, po- uh, politics is pro wrestling. And instead of arm bars and uh, headlocks, they use bullet points and sound bites for education and gun control. But they know what they're going to say. So it's a contrived dance, just like wrestling is. And Trump, hey, Trump has headlined WrestleMania 22, and he also has hosted it twice. So that's why he's ahead of the game. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's, there's a little bit of truth behind what I'm saying because he is ahead of the media. He knows how to work it better than anyone. And honestly, if you look at the way that a lot of the politics is these days, some guy from CNN will bring in, uh, okay, we're going to talk gun control. Here's Joe Schnob from the right party, and here's Jane Schnib from the left party. We have no idea who they are, but because they represent the red and the blue, we listen to them. And Trump yeah. knows that. And he's like, nah, that's okay. I'm just going to do my own thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the first, the first, you're absolutely right. The first clue that he was going to be different was that during the 2016 debates, he, he did, he, you know, how they usually do preparation. They have somebody stand in and pretend to be the other candidate. You know, they drill them on questions, you know. And he, from what I read, he did very little preparation. He just put up and he just, he was just himself. <laughs> and look how it came through, you know. He was, uh, um, Do- Donald Trump said one of the worst words that you could possibly say about a female's body part and yes. also made fun of a man, man's genitalia and is the president of the United States. He can do yeah, anything I, he wants. I mean, are you kidding me? I, I, mean, I would if he if he did that and got elected, anything could I mean and yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, uh I did want to just kind of wrap up here about natural gas. Uh just kind yeah. of a plug in your site, of course, natural gas now, but also uh, really, I do think the reality of it, when you take away the scare tactics and the, and everything along those lines, the, the industry is probably going to go through a little bit of a change. But natural gas seems to be the safe, 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 safe bet for the next 30 years by pipelines, by abundance of supply, by the, you know, they say it's a bridge fuel. I say it's more of a foundation fuel. That's right. I, I, I love that term. Uh, and the reason for that is that you can't do renewables. And, and you know, renewables are going to grow. To, and if for no other reason than political correctness, we're going to see more of it. And, and they are going to get somewhat better. You know, I don't think they're going to get anywhere near better, as, as the advocates say. But they're always going to improve somewhat. And uh, that's just the nature of technology. And there will be, you know, storage things that come along. 
and uh, so on and so forth. But the bottom line is that you can't get you can't get there without natural gas um, it, to whatever point you can get. We don't we don't really know how far it can go. I'm, I suspect it's less far than what they suggest, and the real answers are. You know, in the future, things like hydrogen and stuff like that, which is, by the way, can be made from natural gas. But, but in any case, the the point is that unless you have something to to gives you a baseload generation potential for electricity, then you have nothing. I mean, you can't you can't rely upon solar energy or wind energy or or even the combination of the two to to do anything in your home or your business unless you have the assurance of natural gas or coal or nuclear behind it and to give you the ability to have dispatchable energy. You've got to be able to call, have something available that you can call on at any given moment, any given second. When, when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining uh, or, you know, the, the, the wind is blowing less than it should, you know, things like that. So, the, you've got to have that backup. And this is the central point that renewables advocates and green energy people just will not recognize. They just assume that, you know, the wind will offset solar or that uh, there'll be storage solutions down the line or you know, whatever. And they will not reckon with the fact that you've got to have a baseload, a generator. And natural gas is the best baseload generator unless you want to go nuclear. And, uh, you know, a lot of people see a lot of problems with that. I, I Personally, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but it is expensive, very expensive compared to natural gas. And uh, a lot of people are concerned about it from a risk standpoint. So uh, I don't necessarily share that concern, but I, I, it's out there, and that's why it's so expensive because of that perception. So, uh, so natural gas is still your best bet as a backup option, not just the backup, but as you say, a foundation as the base load generator, and then use the solar and the wind for the extra, the supplemental. Tom Shepstone, naturalgasnow.org is his website. I want to get one last question in because I enjoy sure. speaking with him so much. Uh, when it comes to energy's image right now, um, I, I do think another one of their issues that they're having, because uh, I think 2020 is going to be the most important year in, in oil and gas's history, uh, at least in modern history. Uh, I, I think that they're facing what the farmers faced before, which was when the supermarkets came around pretty soon, everybody forgot that the farmers were the ones that were making the food. And I think that the light switch and the circuit breaker has really re replaced the energy worker out there. And people just assume that power comes from a switch yeah well here's here's how I, I see it similarly but a little bit differently too and that is we are we have we have increasingly become an uh, urban country which is a natural state of things you know with a growing population you're going to have a more urban country in, in certain areas and uh, and as you become more urban people get separated from the land and they get separated from how you grow food how you make lumber, uh, how you build things, how you uh, create energy. They, they do not appreciate that. Uh, and you will find people from uh, New York City who, have, who think a, a tree uh, will only take 10 years to grow, for example, or that, that you, can, uh, you can grow all the food we need from uh, you know, an organic plot uh, you know, in somebody's backyard, you know, or that, 
that we can uh, produce the energy we want just by magically saying solar and, and wind without considering uh, storage. I mean, this is because they know next to nothing about what's involved. I mean, you 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 grew up in the uh, I, I presume in a rural area. You seem to be you know thoroughly familiar with rural life, and so did I. I grew up on a farm, and so I understand. I know what it what it means to own land to grow things and the risks the enormous risks and involved and all that stuff and and so i have an appreciation for it but you take somebody who grew up in new york city or in, in metro new jersey or whatever they have no they haven't got a clue they, they you know they they really don't know they they don't they don't have the foggiest idea how this stuff is done so they're vulnerable to being demagogued that's that's the essence of the problem as i see it all right, give yourself a plug if you got a website or any sort yeah. of uh, newsletters, yeah. etc. Yes, yeah, so you can just go to naturalgasnow, one word, dot org, naturalgasnow, dot org, uh, and you'll find out, you can find out more about me there, and you can read our we, our posts. We generally have uh, one to two posts. Well, there's one post every day except Sunday, and generally there's two posts. So there's always something interesting to read, and we include links to things. We include even links to your shows where I've been on them, you know, and uh, we include uh, links to a lot of videos. So there's a lot of information there. I would encourage people to visit, and uh, if they you know, like to support what we do, they can do that there. Too. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. And that's going to do it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank Mr. Thomas Shepstone for coming on today's program. And we're going to have Dan Haley on in just a moment with another update in Colorado, what's happening down there. I believe Colorado Rising's got about half a dozen ballots circulating around, something like that. I do want to mention our Planet Service announcements we do on social media as well as our uh, online. You can go there as well. And Please like them, share them, spread, spread the you know, information around. You can certainly do that. Uh, again, MineralTracker.com. Thank you very much for sponsoring today's program, MineralTracker.com. Also, uh, our social media online. Please leave comments, like us, share us, follow us, all those different things that people ask us to do, to say, etc. I, I still have a tr trouble asking people to follow us and like us. It's just not my style. But I am trying to get through this because I'd like to 
uh, end the program so we can move on to our weekend review, which is coming tomorrow. All right, so Johnny Green, good job on recycling down in the Everglades. Is that true? Oh, we need to get more on that. And Canine Pipeline found some leaks down in Texas, so we'll get on that next week as well. So thank you very much, folks, for listening to the Crude Life Podcast, a 30-minute daily podcast, which means it's heard Monday through Thursday with a week in review every Friday. And our daily, you know, could be 44 minutes, could be 32 minutes, might be 52 and a half minutes. Who knows here? It's the podcast world, folks. Provolone, thank you very much. Excellent job this week. I swear, next week you're going to be able to speak. We're going to be able to push that button. You'll be able to say hi, folks, because I'm telling you, you know, you're a talented, you're a talented guy. You're a funny guy, but you just sometimes you you um, you, you you like to give directions much more than ask questions, and, and I think that's your biggest obstacle right now is that we need to figure out a way because you're not running you're not the ceo you're the guy in charge of the podcast so that's okay we'll get through it i'll buy lunch today i'll even show you how to order lunch flirt with the gal behind the counter and not buy a hat and t-shirt to impress her okay all right from the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Dan Haley, president of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Dan Haley with the Colorado Oil and Gas Association right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. So in the 2019 legislative session, uh, the bill was approved. Um, and it set into motion a series of rulemakings, uh, which is what we're in the process of, of doing right now. In 2019, after the session ended, uh, there were three rulemakings, one on flow lines. Colorado already had the most comprehensive flow line rules in the country, but now uh, they're even more comprehensive and uh, will be mapped at a certain level that will be available to the public, uh, tested. The integrity of those lines will be tested more than anywhere else in the country, and then in December, we also went and air underwent an air rulemaking to uh, further uh, toughen or make more stringent Colorado's already stringent air rules. And then now in 2020, there'll be a series of additional rulemakings uh, later this spring to hopefully bring that 181 uh, regulatory uh, system uh, into place by July of this year. Uh, now, separate from all of that, some of the news you probably saw last week, Colorado Rising, the activist group, a, a, a keep-it-in-the-ground group, uh, they don't want this product to ever leave the ground. They came back again last week and said they're looking at additional ballot measures uh, for November of this year. So what they did was they submitted six potential 
ballot initiatives to the Secretary of State's office. Oftentimes when campaigns uh, run ballot initiatives, they'll put several of them out there and see what can pass muster as it goes to this title-setting process to get approved onto the, onto the ballot. I don't know how many they will choose. Um, likely they'll probably settle on one, maybe two of those measures. I don't. I have no way of knowing, and they haven't announced that publicly. I imagine they're probably going to poll it and see uh, what, uh, what it looks like. But one of them is identical to the measure that Coloradans defeated two years ago in Prop 112, a 2,500-foot setback. There are also a couple of different 2,500-foot setbacks with different criteria surrounding them of what you're actually being set back from. And that was Dan Haley, president of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. We'd like to invite you to check out our social media pages from the Facebooks to the YouTubes, even the LinkedIn's. All that is available at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media page from the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update. My name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.